Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Isaac, of one of the hosts of In Doubt, and I'm also pastor at North Valley Baptist Church in Mission, British Columbia in Canada. We are very privileged to have with us on the show today speaker, writer, and professor Kyle Strobel. So thanks so much for being here with us today, Kyle. Hey, Isaac. So good to be with you, brother. Uh, I want to begin just, and again, lots of interviews begin this way because it's important. We just want to begin by knowing who you are. So sort of what is your life uh, in the snapshot? How does Jesus play a role in that? Or maybe the other way around, how do you play a role in what Jesus is doing? Uh, however you want to uh, address that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a hard question because it is such a big question, you know. But, you know, a lot of folks um, probably have heard of my father, Lee Strobel. And so Great. Um, typically... <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah that's the orienting reality of me um but yeah so you know if you know anything about my father's story i i grew up um, in many ways i was born into the family of an atheist who very quickly after my birth became a christian and and so as far as i knew i was you know in the, a long line of christians <laughs> and um, i grew up in the the mega churches i grew up at willow creek um and so in, in an era where everything was kind of big and exciting and um, lots going on and and, and I had no interest in it, quite honestly, for most of that time. And it was, I had a bit of a crisis, a kind of a life crisis after um, after high school. This is right before college then. And I, I had no ambition to go to college. I had no ambition to study. I know. And the Lord really was kind to me in that season. And in, in a very odd way, in many ways, just kind of pushed me into, into a college, a small Christian college. And I, I literally didn't apply until July, which they don't even need <laughs> to let you apply it that late. And they made you put down a a, a major. And I was like, uh, I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't, you know, and I saw biblical studies and I was like, sure, why not? You know, I don't know anything about the Bible. I might as well do that. And <laughs> and that it just changed my life, you know, at a small Christian school and and studying scripture. And it awoke in me something profound. And and ever since then, I've been on, I was on a kind of trajectory that was either I wasn't sure at the time. I was either towards pastoring or towards the academy. Um, I knew I would do both to some degree. And and yet for me, what became clear is it is a more of a, a at least in terms of full-time job kind of questions, more of academy, but I was never in service to the academy. And and what drove me and what drives me still are are kind of existential questions of life with with Christ. Like like how how do we actually make sense? in reality and not just on paper, but like <laughs> the lived reality of these things. And so um, that has been my trajectory um, from for a long time now. And it's, um, I've been incredibly blessed to land where I have, where I'm in a department that well, this is just the stuff we get to teach and think about all the time. And so it's, it's, it's a real blast. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Uh, so anyways, you and another author, John Coe, have recently written a book on prayer and you, it's, it's titled, Where Prayer Becomes Real, How Honesty with God Transforms Your Soul. So for your listeners, that's, that's the title of this book. 
just a way to sort of, you know, springboard us into into some of the more details. What is the kind of the general gist of this book? And maybe another way to ask it is what are you what are you giving to to the church? Yeah, well, one of the things we really want to do, I mean, for us, you know, the the Christian life is is a life of prayer. So so in many ways, all that we do, it's it's what we think of as a kind of a meta-discipline. So if you think of all the disciplines you do, reading the Bible, going to church, like you know, there's all these tons of them, fasting, you know, whatever that is, all of them need to be done prayerfully to kind of be done Christianly, right? Like, like there's a mode of being with God and presenting ourselves to God, to use Paul's language from Romans. And this presenting ourselves to God is, is, is a kind of prayerfulness. And, and yet we find that prayer is the place where people are most isolated and alone. Prayer is oftentimes one of the places where people are most unknown in their lives. I, I know a few Christians where their prayer life is known by others. And not just do you pray, although I know I know a lot of people have probably never been asked that question, but even like, well, what what is it like for you to pray? And, you know, one of the one of the things we've seen. So we teach seminary students, obviously, mostly in, in our context, but I also um, and I'm a preaching team at a church. And, and, and when I when I speak in the church on prayer, I consistently talk to folks who have these these expectations about what prayer should be and they're not meeting them. And in this weird condition where they're saying, why, why isn't this working? Why do I feel alone? Why is my mind wandering? Why is, um, why am I falling asleep? Why, you know, and, and, you know, one of the problems I think, and one of the things that really struck us is there's a million books on prayer and there's a lot of good books on prayer, quite honestly. <laughs> and I was asked by someone, there was a new Testament scholar. Who's like a friend of my family who said, Hey Kyle, you know, I've I'm embarrassed to admit this, but you know, because I'm a biblical scholar, but I struggle with prayer. So, like, what is your go-to book on prayer? And I was like, oh, you really should read um, and I just kind of paused and I realized I didn't have one. And I know there's lots of good books. So it I had a kind of crisis a little bit myself, like, well, wait a second, why, why, yeah, why can't I immediately think of this? And I realized that there's good books that talk about prayer theoretically. There's other books usually that talk about prayer practically, but rarely they do both. But then the element that I realized that I missed that that caused me to stop and not have a book on hand to offer was that I think a good book on prayer has to talk about it theoretically, like what is Christian prayer like? What does that mean to pray? Practically, like, well, how do I do? Like, if I if a book doesn't help me pray well, then it's not a good book on prayer, right? So it's got to help me actually do the, in the act of prayer. But what we wanted to do was add an element of the exist, what we think was the existential element. And so we want people to come to the book and, and hear us talk about their prayer life. And, and what we found is that most of us have had the exact same experiences in prayer. Like when I go somewhere, I talk about falling asleep in prayer, my mind wandering. I never have a person that's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Sure, like sure. whenever I close my eyes <laughs> to pray, I see a light. And then Jesus is like, no, they fall asleep. They're weird. Like, and, and yet what's funny is we're all having the same experience. And like, no one's talking about this. Like, why aren't we talking about this stuff? Because that's where the average person is at. And I worry that people, for, for both John and I, we went through a season in our life and we're both academics. We're both, we both did a biblical degrees and theology degrees. And at some point in our, in our development, we came to believe that maybe prayer was only really cut out for the experts or for those people who are good at it. And maybe we just need to keep our heads down and study the scriptures. And we stopped praying, meaningfully at least, and, and that that was tragic. And so we really want to help people not to stop praying, and we want to help people to stop 
praying as they think a good Christian should and to pray in reality rather than in this kind of fantasy world of, of what they think God expects their prayer to be like. That's so good. That's so good. Well, we're going to get into some of those specifics. So thank you for that kind of general overview. Um, let's back up a little bit and, you know, perhaps someone's listening who thinks they know what prayer is, but I mean, every worldview and religion prays, you know, so yeah. w- what is prayer and how do you and John sort of uh, explain the, dis- what what is prayer, Christian prayer? Like what's the distinction of Christian prayer? Yeah, yeah. No, it is one of those funny things where we, we every religion, I suppose, has an element of, you know, you know, what prayer is. I mean, I imagine even atheists probably have some version of prayer. Sure. Um, but it is important to know the Christian version is utterly different in pretty much every way. And the main reason for that, which is the main reason of most differences with Christianity, is that we have a triune God who has <laughs> who has given himself to us. And so for the Christian, prayer isn't something you generate. It's not something you create. It's not even something you start. Prayer is something you enter. Because we have a great high priest in Jesus who we're told always lives to intercede for us. And we have a Holy Spirit who's been given over to us into the depths of our souls who groans with groanings too deep for words. And so before you say a word, there's already prayer going on. And we, in fact, are caught up in their prayers. I mean, one of the most obvious biblical elements of this is when we're told um, that we should pray, you know, we should cry out, Abba, Father. In Romans, we get this command, but in Galatians, we're told the first thing that happens in our souls when we receive the Spirit is the Spirit prays, Abba, Father. And what's interesting about that prayer is that isn't your prayer. Like, that's not your prayer to pray. Like, that's Jesus's prayer that you're now kind of internalized into. And so we are now caught up in the prayers of the Son and the Spirit, just as we are caught up in salvation in the life of Christ. And so this is, this is a I mean, in many ways, this is one of those revolutionary notions scripture gives us that, again, we just don't talk about very often. Yeah, no, totally. And we, we, I think prayer, the, the difficulty for many people with prayer, is we think of it as an activity primarily. And so then we, it gets stuck in this register in our minds of, it's like a performative act, right? So it's like, there's, and then we begin thinking about, am I good at this? Am I bad at this? Or what's the right language to use? Or what the, what's the kind of thing should I say? And we get stuck thinking about the performance of it. And we forget that this is something God has done for us. And, and to be honest, one of the this struck me anew when we wrote this. One of the most fantastic things the scripture says, one of the most astonishing pieces of good news is when we're told by Paul that when God looks at you, he says, you know, you don't know how to pray. <laughs> the most incredible thing. And that he does something about it. He sends his spirit to pray for us. Like, I mean, it's one thing that Christ died for us in our sins. You know, praise God that he met us and praise God that he's our substitute. But he even <laughs> presents himself as our substitute for our prayers. Yeah. Like, that is astonishing. And it, it means that we need to just take a deep breath and allow ourselves to be bad at prayer. God's already told us he knows we're bad at prayer. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I, I posted an article not all that long ago about, about this, about being bad at prayer. And it, I saw a bunch of comments. Usually I don't look at comments online for all sorts of good reasons. <laughs> um, but but I saw several comments that were like, you know, I don't think God thinks anyone's bad at prayer. I don't think. And I was like, no, God literally tells us. You are bad. <laughs> he, he knows this already. 
and it struck me as kind of funny. I was like, well, like I get their instinct. I get what they're saying. Like they, they know prayer should be just authentically you and all these, but they're missing a part of the good news. They're actually missing the freedom we can find in the fact that God knows he understands and he's done something about it. And so, you know, that Christian prayer is utterly different. Like we, we don't have to come like the prophets of Baal and do a song and a dance to woo God to our side. Like he has given himself to us and he has already done all that we need. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, Kyle. And yeah, it's true. Like you really, even for myself, who's done, you know, study in the word and pastoring a church, it's, it's even just opening up this idea that prayer is entering into something that's already going on is, is really, is really fascinating. I think, how, how would you respond to this? Um, I think a lot of people, they, they love just the simple definition of prayer is just talking to God just talking to God, how would you want to fill that out more? Yeah, you know, that's, I mean, there's a good in that. You know, you know what the funny thing about prayers, prayer is one of those areas where most of our cliches are actually quite good. <laughs> um, I, I was looking about that. I'm like, you know, most of these cliches are good. You know, you know what the problem though with them are, is we think if we understand the simplicity of them, that somehow it's deeply meaningful. And, you know, one of the, one of the responses to our book, which I thought was so interesting, and I loved this response. This was so encouraging to me is a woman who had been Christian now, what did she say? Was it 35 years or something? Said, you know, my whole Christian life, I've been told, you can tell God anything. And she's like, I never knew what that meant until I read your book. And she's like, I knew what those words mean. But you see, the problem is we, we don't understand that the, the problem in our prayer life isn't that we just don't have the right information, that if we could just get it right in, in our minds, like, oh, okay, I just can give out God everything that makes sense. We, we don't know how much the flesh has actually blinded us. And, you know, like, let me give an example. So like my, um, my seminary students, most of them come in and they really want to work hard and they should, they want to work very hard on their theology of the atonement. Like they want to get, what does the Bible say about the cross? What has Jesus done in, in his sacrificial death? And they, they think about that a lot. And then they really do a good job of, of really nailing down like what's going on here theologically. What does this mean for us? And it's really good. And then they go to pray and they try to atone for their sins in their prayer life. And it's, it's really interesting to see. And what the funny thing for me is I didn't know I did that until I saw them doing that. And at no point would me just telling myself uh, that the atonement would, would have changed that because I didn't even see it. And the problem with prayer, because we're so alone and isolated in it, we, we often don't see the kinds of things we do that are really fleshly, like for both my co-author and I, for both John and I, we both began to see that we, we would be praying. Something would go on in our prayer life. Maybe we fell asleep. Maybe our mind wandered. Maybe, you know, something came up and we started thinking about that around the prayer, whatever. We would kind of pause prayer. And in, in this weird fantasy, we, like God was no longer there. <laughs> And we're just started talking to ourselves. And sometimes we're kind of pumping ourselells up, oh, get, well, wake up, you know, what's wrong with you? Or, or sometimes we're we're kind of like, okay, you know, no, leave that stuff alone. No, we can think about that later. Now now's the time to pray. And And we began to rethink it as like God's still sitting there going, you know I'm here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right here. Like I, I'm listening <laughs> totally. to you talk to yourself. And you know, there's there's a sense where we need to hear that you can, you know, you, this prayer is the simplest thing of telling God everything. But we really, it, it actually gets complicated the more you try to give yourself to that. And I think one of, the, one of the things that we advocate in the book is learning to pray the Psalms. And one of the things the Psalms do is they train you in how your flesh has actually cut off parts of your life from God. 
and how most of us just deeply believe that God either can't handle or simply just doesn't want to handle our anger. He doesn't want to handle our sin or he can't handle our sin. And so we end up talking about our sin to God after we've cleaned ourselves up where you'll never see the psalmist do that. And we need to allow the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer, the set prayer scripture gives us to actually train us so that we can do that cliche, right? Like, is the cliche good? Like it is, but, but that isn't simple. <laughs> it's actually quite profoundly difficult because prayer touches the deepest things about what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about salvation, like all of it. And so I can't remember the last time I heard a cliche that wasn't good about prayer, but the problem is the actual entering into that isn't cliche. It, it is actually really difficult and really deep. Yeah. Kyle, you already started touching on it. Maybe we can go a little bit further. What do you mean when it comes to being honest to God in our in our prayer? So you, you already started touching on a little bit. The Psalms are training us this way. Um, what does that mean to be honest in your in your prayer life? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things is, well, let me take two things here. One more, a little more practical. But the first is that, you know, it's funny because one of the one of the kind of criticism, so it's not really criticism, but pushback maybe I get in this in class because all of a sudden my students say, you know, I, you're pushing us to pray this way and yet it doesn't feel like I'm revering God. And I was like, you know, the opposite of honesty is dishonesty. It's not <laughs> lack of reverence. Like, and, and there's something there that I know what they're saying because what they're actually naming is a feeling. But the feeling is fleshly. It's that God can't handle this. And that's why it feels like it lacks reverence. And, and yet you think about the two men who go to the temple to pray in Jesus's parable. The one who prays in his goodness does not leave justified. But the one that wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, that only threw himself on the mercy of God as a sinner left justified. And Jesus was attracted to folks who were very kind of leaky people. They were very messy. They didn't, they didn't get, they're not the people I'm attracted to because I like people that know social customs, right? They don't break into parties they weren't invited to and wipe my feet with their hair and all these other weird things. Like I, I'd rather like, you know, I know we, I like people that know social customs. And yet Jesus was just profoundly attracted to people who were kind of leaking all over the place and their sin was on the surface and they were like, Lord, look at this, help me, you know? And, and so in, in one element, we, we, we can only come as we are. I've already talked about, you know, the Spirit's praying for you already in your soul with groaning studio. The Spirit's praying for you in reality, right? The, the Spirit doesn't pray for your Christian avatar, right? You know, like, we, we love our Christian avatar. We go to church and we try to wear it. We, you know, we, we love to send our avatar. It's like the Israelites at the mountain of Sinai. It's like, Moses, why don't you just be our avatar? Go up the scary mountain. We'll stay back yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we love to do that. And, and yet God cannot transform your avatar because it's not real. And prayer, the place that prayer goes to die is when you pray the way you think a good Christian should. There was a writer, there was a, a 20th century writer who talked about how no one on the Titanic had the problem with their mind wandering when it was going down, <laughs> which is just a great image in my mind. And he says as well, like children don't have a problem with mind wandering when they're telling their parents what they want for Christmas. Sure. Yeah. Because when we are in touch with the things we most deeply desire, then we come alive. And a lot of us, prayer is the place where we fall asleep, not only physically, but, but even if we stay awake physically, we, our kind of soul falls asleep because we pray the way we imagine a good Christian should, and we're just not actually present to it. And so some of what that means is instead of talking to yourself, so instead of like when John and I are both had this experience, we're hitting the pause button in prayer, we're trying, we're talking to ourselves, like, 
Kyle, get your accent. What are you, can you just focus on prayer? Like, why are you thinking about the rest of the week? Why are you worried about your taxes? Why, you know, whatever it is, instead of just kind of getting into this weird dialogue with yourself, tell God, God, I, I'm so distracted. God, I, I'm so much more interested in the worries of my, God, I deeply think that if I just, if I just wrestle with my worries more, that I'll, I'll be able to fix them. Like, I'm not turning to you with them, clearly. I, I'm just wrestling with myself with these things. God, why, why does it feel like you're not here? God, have you abandoned me? Because it feels like you've abandoned me. Like, that's now praying like the psalmist prayed. And even more so, God, have you fallen asleep on the job? My favorite line in the Psalter is when the psalmist kind of demands to know if God's fallen asleep. And it, that's a great psalm. That's a great prayer. Most of us would never pray it, though, because we kind of worry that God can't handle our, our pain. You know, there's something very childish in this. And I don't mean that negatively, like, 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 in, in a, like, oh, this is just childish. Like, no, this is how children think, actually. Like, when children experience their sin and their, their brokenness and their, their anger often, they're worried that mom and dad can't actually receive. Like, it's so, it feels so big to them that they can't, they, they, like, mom and dad might collapse under the weight of it. And it's like, wow, how small has our God become? when we worry that he'll collapse under the weight of our, our sin and brokenness, like, yes, it was in our sins that he died for us, but now he's so allergic and afraid of it that if I bring it to him, that he'll somehow collapse. And, you know, I think many of us fall under the temptation of, of sin. You know, sin always tries to convince you that the place of healing is the place to protect yourself and the place to hide, right? This is why Adam declares run hide, you know, when the Lord shows up in the garden, like, why doesn't Adam say the Lord's here? Thank the Lord. He'll know how to protect. We've messed up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. But in being in his, in his brokenness, now the Lord becomes the problem to manage that in the original sin, we see that this is the original sin of prayer, that the Lord becomes someone to manage in prayer rather than someone to kind of come and invite into our nakedness and shame. Yeah, that's so good. There's so much to think about, Kyle. You're giving so much. That's It's so good. Uh, backing up a little bit, I, I want to move into, uh, as we even approach our, our time here, um, some of the expectations that we we put on prayer. Um, because you, earlier you were saying, you know, you're trying to pray and then taxes come into your mind or problem spousal issue or friendship issue. And then you, you stop praying and you try to focus on those things. Maybe we do that because we don't actually expect something to happen in prayer or maybe who knows, right? So what are some of the expectations that we put on prayer? And then what are, what should we expect? I think that's even the better question. What should we expect? Yeah, yeah, no. And this is the, the, the mind wandering one is a big one because in our flesh, we all assume that mind wandering is a signal that tells us you're praying badly. Whereas what we want to say is, no, no, your mind wanders because you come into the presence of the Lord and where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The presence, and you see this consistently, the presence of God just opens the heart and says, this is interesting. <laughs> this is what you treasure. Because you know, you know who else does this? Jesus. <laughs> just, just look. What, you know, Jesus is on the way to the cross. And what are the disciples doing? They're debating which one of them is the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, the scene is shocking. And, and yet, you know, that's the reality, right? That's what, and what does Jesus do? He, he opens that. What are you guys talking about? He brings it to the surface. And so our expectation should be, if I'm actually showing up in prayer, I'm going to see the truth. And the truth might be, you know, I, my own life, I realize, like, you know, when I go to pray, I, I, I kind of, I, I realize I come before the whirlwind, like Job, like I come before a God who's untamable. And what that does to my heart is it causes it to turn to things that I feel like I have control over. 
And so maybe that's work. Maybe things I feel competent at. Maybe it's my calendar. Like, oh, okay, I'll do this. Then I'll do this. And oh, and just planning out my week. And I'll find my mind turns there almost as a kind of defensive mechanism to protect myself with the presence of God. And I need to just take all of those things and not, not stop doing it. I need to take this as, Lord, you're showing me the truth. This is what I should be praying about. Because this is where my heart is, clearly. And sometimes it's on really dumb things. It's on sports. And I'm hoping my team wins the next game. All right. You know, Lord, what, why is my, look at my heart. Like it's everywhere. Or, or sometimes it's profoundly deep. Lord, I'm worried about my children. Lord, my marriage. Lord, my job. Lord, my my, 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 my bank account, Lord. I, and, and it's now these are the places where we, we don't stop this and shut it down. Lord, sorry, I'm doing that. I'll be better. But imagine that God's going, let's talk about this. And you're saying, sorry, I'll be better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, this is the opposite of the case. Or, you know, one of the things that, again, I just don't hear anyone talking about. And I think it's so tragic is I think every Christian, when you come to pray, you have this weird sense that you project on God. It isn't God. It's, the, some, it's some weird sense you have. You have a weird sense of how God receives you. And I can't tell you how, I mean, so many of my students, when they go to pray, and these are seminary students, these are future pastors. When they go to pray, God rolls his eyes. God rolls his eyes at them. He just kind of goes, oh, here we go again. And what I'm constantly pressing them is, well, why do you think that, like, where's that? Because that isn't God. That, that is, as we hear in 1 John 3, 19, you know, when, when he says, when your heart condemns you, that's your heart condemning. That's your heart claiming these things. God is greater than these things. And he knows everything. Take these to God. But we, I think we so often in prayer project what our heart's doing onto God. And so we have so many people out there that feel condemned. And so they're trying to perform well, or they feel that God doesn't receive them. And so they're trying to show God that he, they're receivable or and, and this is just this, we're doing this kind of one man and one woman plays in the presence of God, rather than saying, God, you're greater than this. Look at this. Look at this, Lord. You've died for me here. You know it. The Spirit's praying for it. Lord, meet me in this place. And so unfortunately for many of us, because of our expectations, prayer becomes a place, in fact, where we spend more time hiding from God rather than actually being with him. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Kyle, thank you so much. That wraps up our time. Uh, to our listeners, we'll make sure that you have all the accessible ways that you can find Kyle and, and John's book. But anyways, thank you so much, Kyle, for taking the time to do this. We would love to have you back on the show again, hopefully on sanctification or on the person or something like that soon. <laughs> hey, I would love that, man. It was so good to be with you. That was speaker, writer, and professor Kyle Strobel talking with us about prayer. Hope you enjoyed it. As we've already mentioned, Kyle has just written a new book with another author on prayer called Where Prayer Becomes Real, How Honesty with God Transforms Your Soul. If this conversation has caused you to think more about prayer or made you more interested in prayer, then definitely go and pick up Kyle's book. You can go to whereprayerbecomesreal.com to get a copy. Well, we hope you join us next week. I have the privilege of talking with mentor, author, and speaker, Carson Pugh. Come listen in. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
Hey, this is Isaac, one of the hosts of In Doubt, a ministry of Good News Global Media. Is it possible that being a Christian young person could be any more complicated than it is today? How do we make right choices and decisions when so many opinions around us seem contrary to what it means to live for Christ? At In Doubt, we hope to help make sense, biblical sense, of those difficult choices, decisions, and the complexity of faith, life, and culture in 2021. So join us every week for another challenging conversation and our response as God's people. For everything in doubt, visit indoubt.com. And if you'd like to help us continue to offer this program, you can make a gift of any amount at indoubt.com or by calling 1-844-663-2424.